0: Welcome to this week's episode of The Masterpods. My name is Olivier and today I have a very awkward introduction for you because uh, Silly Me was on the way and my note taking app was not opening. Um, so I'm just going to drop you right into the conversation with Henna and he will tell you all about who he is and what he does. Enjoy the episode. I was basically introducing you as a researcher at Lund University, and uh, you did your um, your PhD thesis in uh, sustainable urban governance, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, yeah, roughly, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you have been a consultant for the public and the private sector, actually, right? Yeah, back in the days, that's true. So, uh, this is great. And uh, this is going to be very interesting to talk to you, maybe a bit different format, because since we ask about the organizations and I mean, we'll get there. Uh, but I guess my, my first question then to you is, um, who are you <laughs> in your own words? <laughs> yeah, um, I would say I would describe myself as a researcher, basically,
1: but um When you are a researcher at the university, you're also a teacher. And um, so I would describe myself as a researcher and teacher, which is basically the thing that I'm supposed to do at university, the two things we are supposed to do, teach and research. Um, And I enjoy both parts, I have to say. Um, But probably as my identity, I would identify with the teacher part a bit more, actually. Hmm. So you're a very pedagogical person I don't know if I am I aspire to be but uh, I, I leave that for my students to uh, um, to judge actually yeah
0: well I got I, I don't know if Marina was a student of yours but I got very great feedback yeah she was a student of mine so that's um, that makes me happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah positive feedback is always nice to hear so like what does the uh, what does the day-to-day life look like in a teacher's mm-hmm. life? Mm. Um, it, it's pretty
1: interesting because every day can be can be quite different. It depends a lot on the projects that you're on. Um, the projects that you're on define very much what you engage with intellectually, but also in terms of the people that you're engaging with. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing that that comes with being a researcher is that this changes every couple of years. Um, and you often have research uh, projects running in parallel. That's that's one thing. Um, then the other thing is, of course, the teaching part. And that also changes. I mean, there's, there's more repetition in the sense of that you're teaching the same courses or the same lectures um, every year, something like that. And then you modify them just maybe a little bit or you adapt the numbers that you're using there. Um, so that's a bit more repetitive. But what's different every time is that you get new students to engage with and um these are the parts that are really exciting about my job the really boring parts about my job is the administrative stuff of course but i think uh, <laughs> nobody nobody enjoys you know filing travel bills and and uh, yeah stuff like that yeah
0: yeah I, I i'm sure some people do and thank god for that actually <laughs> i mean yeah yeah i'm i'm sure we all have our interests so that's uh, i i understand i'm the same way yeah, um, that's that. So how did you end up? You you went through uh, consulting for, uh, like I said, for the private yeah. and for the public sector, and then you became a researcher. How did you, what was your trip? How did you end up in your current position?
1: Uh, actually, I mean, it's it's like with everybody. It's, it's, it's a lot of coincidence and a lot of being at the right place at the right time. Um, that makes you end up at the place where you are. I mean... I did my bachelor's which was very interdisciplinary um it had nothing to do with sustainability or very little to do with sustainability it was governmental studies with a focus on economics um and and social science and a bit of law so um a bit like all over the place and then um I, doing my bachelor's, I got the idea that I wanted to do something with sustainability and I had figured which master's program I wanted to take. And then I didn't get into this master's program. So then I was a bit of a a pickle and I had to figure what I'm going to do with this year now. Um, and um i basically then became a a consultant it sounds much more sophisticated than it actually was i basically went to the company where i had been first been doing an internship and then had been working a little bit on an hourly basis and said like well do you want to hire me on a on, on on a um you know bigger contract for 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 a couple of months so i can bridge this one year that i have in between and then i got also an offer to work for a very good public organization in germany um so i worked for these two uh out of kind of like fixing an emergency in which i found myself so this is Hmm. how i ended up in consultancy and then after that um i picked a master's in sustainability um went for that and um then basically had this epiphany that um, maybe you, you can't run away from from your genes. You can't run away from kind of like your fate because... You know, my mother uh, was a high school teacher. My father was a university professor. And I was always <laughs> saying, my sister my sister started working in university. And I was always saying, I, I, my entire family got stuck in educational institutions. I'm not going to do that. Somebody needs to do something real. Um, and then I really, really enjoyed studying again during my, my master's. And I really found my place where I felt like, both in terms of the department where I was, but also um with sustainability in the subject where I was, where I felt like this is this feels right for me. I want to do this um so then I you know had to embrace the inevitable and accept that maybe uh, I might also do the research thing and stay at university at least for a while. And that was 2011. So, um,
0: you know, I'm still there, still there, still going going strong, strong. exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, there's always these unexpected moments in life. And if you get a refusal or you don't get admitted somewhere immediately, then I guess an important part of growing up is also to understand that these are not failures. These are just moments where you're going to be doing something else for a while and then while you figure out what the next task is and sometimes you found something even greater than you thought was possible after that so exactly and i mean if 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 people now look at the path that i
1: that i took it looks like super planned and super focused and uh <laughs> and it really wasn't it really wasn't i mean there was so much that just fell into place uh that you know phd positions opened up at a specific time when it made sense for me and so on
0: so it's it's just um there is so much luck that plays into that um i to to bounce back on that i think it's always interesting because when i was um learning in, in in university to prepare for job interviews for example it's often the case that they ask you they ask you um to have somewhat like of a story of yourself ready yeah and which is interesting because you're like some like all, not all the choices you make in your life are fully planned and no. coherent in a way. Mm. But maybe sometimes after a while they do because you are in a way driven by the things that interest you, yeah. even subconsciously to some degree. And so sometimes all you have to do is to piece together that logical narrative in your story. And sometimes when you do that, it actually makes sense even to yourself and. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. to say <laughs> no, no, but but I mean you're you're you're
1: you're entirely right. I mean afterwards, now looking back, it looks like uh, you know I took very coherent steps to get to where I am right now, but I kind of like mostly stumbled through this, and uh, <laughs> you know I had I had good people that supported me at the times when I needed it or p- pushed me in the right direction, and uh, for that uh, that I'm thankful. But it's if if I if I'd look back and say like, well, oh, oh look at me, I have a PhD and I've achieved so much. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of that actually was really um, you know, me making smart choices or <laughs> <laughs> in, in many ways it was luck, yeah, and, and it was coincidence and
0: it was opportunities opening in the in in, in the right moment. Um and yeah. then you became a researcher in sustainability exactly which is great because this leads me to my next question and this mm-hmm. is a question that is a very open question and and that is how do you how would you um define sustainability <laughs> okay um i would define sustainability in the sense of um
1: leaving the world uh, at least ha- not having a big impact on the world um um, in, in the sense of leaving an environmental footprint, um, rather mm-hmm. having there's this saying leave when we, when you go into, I think it's a Swedish nature conversation, uh, con, um, conservation agency that says leave nothing behind, but footprints. And I think that's very good. So leave nothing behind, but you know, positive impacts on the world. That is how I define sustainability for me. And I can do that through, um, Minima, through minimizing the environmental impact that I have on the world, but mm-hmm. also, of course, by planting seeds, and that is meant in 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 a very literal sense of planting plants and <laughs> planting seeds, <laughs> and you know, picking trash, but also in an intellectual sense of the due to the great privilege that I have of of, of having the role as a teacher very often. So yeah. Um, yeah. that's how
0: I how I operationalize sustainability for myself. And these seeds sometimes grow in very interesting ways. Oh, yeah, they do. In different people. But you also have to accept, then, if you do that in teaching, that you sometimes just, um,
1: you can't control all the growth. And you should not control all the growth, because the plant Mm -hmm. has a right to go in its own direction. Yes,
0: that's a good way to phrase it. Um, Do you believe in incorporating sustainable practices into your life or do you believe that 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 makes an impact um
1: yes and no um i know that the individual actions that i take um that might be in line with my values. They're not going to change the world substantially in the sense of, you know, saving the climate or uh, addressing the biodiversity crisis. I cannot do that alone, but that's all. That's not the point. Um, So when I was at one, there's this great story. When I was at one of the, the fighters for futures demonstrations early on, um, when we still had demonstrations outside, you know, (laughs) and people could get together. um, I met this, this, this old lady and she told me that story about this dude, Protesting in the seventies against—I don't—I don't recall. Maybe nuclear power plant in Sweden. Or he was protesting against um, a, a chemical plant. And then a reporter approached him um, with camera. and they, they had the camera on him and said, "Like, yeah." So really started to mock him and asked him, "Yeah, do you really think you're going to change the system by just standing here as one single person in front of a chemical plant and protesting?" Because he was standing there all alone. And he looked at the camera and said, "Like, uh, no." that's not the point but i'm making sure that the system is not going to change me so mm. i mean with that that through the individual stuff that i do um or especially the individual stuff that i do not do in, in in terms of avoiding unsustainability i might make sure that i stay true to my own values and that is something that's very valuable in itself um then, of course, there's always the question of, um, you know, to some degree, uh, you can influence as an individual. If you get together with a lot of people, you can create trends that then change the whole thing. You can um, act as an example. But I also think that we as researchers um, have a special responsibility when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Because if we constantly say these things like we need to change our way of living, we need to do this, we need to do that, and we also need to live that to some degree. But we are also under extreme scrutiny when it comes to that. Um, I mean, how many arguments have we heard about this and that researcher or this and that activist has no right to say these things because you know uh, they they sat on the airplane once in their life or something like that. Um, so that's an argument that I that that we are exposed to in public debates quite a bit. And okay. then it's good if you if you can say well. I mean, I'm not saying this out of of value signaling. I'm not showing you that I'm more woke than you, but I'm doing these things that I do, and I can list them to you. But it's not important for the argument's sake, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's it's sometimes necessary for us to defend our own standpoint and to defend our own own um, ideas that we have about society, because we need to show from time to time that you can still have a meaningful life with less consumption for example
0: yeah yeah i guess there's always the uh the divide between the individual and the the systemic change that pops up in that question and uh, yeah it it does
1: and i i think there's there's one thing that's really important in that context especially when you do sustainability science when you do these things um like you start behaving more sustainably or if you demand system change it is not about pointing at individuals. it's not about pointing at individual behavior and saying, well, you're being unsustainable and I'm going to guilt the shit out of you because, you know, you own a car and you eat meat. The the point is, and this is also the demands of, for example, the Fighters for Future movement is that we want to have a system that makes it easy for us to do the right thing. And right now we are living in systems that give us all the incentives to do the wrong things, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember, um, interestingly, a few years back when I did my bachelor, uh, I, wrote, I wrote my bachelor thesis on something that I thought was interesting at the time, which was that uh, I, I grew up between France and Sweden. And mm-hmm. it seemed to me that there was this narrative in Sweden being somewhat of a more individualistic country in, in, in many ways differently than France, uh, that the narrative in the media Seem to be support much more supportive of individual action. That mm-hmm. is, you should try to eat less meat. Whereas the narrative, the com- more common narrative across the French press was that there should be regulation in place that prevents us to eat meat. Yeah, that there was a divide between uh, individual responsibility and societal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just find it interesting, bit randomly thrown in there. Um, but okay, yeah. so. Uh, what What would you give as a sustainability tip to anyone trying like that would like to know how their individual behavior could be improved in any way i would I would go back to that story that I told earlier I mean
1: change the system or let the system change you right um i mean try it. and that's probably also the most difficult thing in this context being aware of kind of what incentives are being um you are you're being exposed to what but incentives incentives are are there along the way to steer you in a more unsustainable direction and if you are aware of these things and if you recognize them it's much easier to resist them um, mm-hmm. one example so as a uh, male without kids in his 30s with a good income that means I'm prime target for certain kinds of advertisement, right? And we all know that through social media, all this data is available to the company. So I got a lot of advertisement for flights, um, holiday flights, and cars. When you're aware of that, then it's much easier to engage with that uh, and not to get any bad feelings about that you are not affording these things or that you're not unable to afford these things or that you are unwilling to afford these things. So... um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, be- becoming conscious about the system that you're in, and and not feeling guilty about things that you did in your past, because that that one that that stuff you can't change, but you can decide now how you want to you know live the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's very abstract. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that no, nah, I think that's a good tip. It's uh, I I find it quite common that um, people mostly have these sort of reflective pieces of advice that are very much about. Uh, thinking and 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 questioning what it is you do more than adopting a specific type of behavior yeah uh so very yeah um do you have a favorite sustainability resource that you inform yourself Mm -hmm. through um so what i use a lot is the carbon brief um
1: that is a resource from the us uh excuse me from the uk where they actually compile um all the news on carbon climate related issues um political news but also latest research um they have okay. a home page and they have a newsletter so i get the newsletter and that's once a day I kind of get an overview of what are the things that are relevant in the context of of climate change and then mm. then a digest every friday uh highlighting the most important ones so that's oh. that's the one that i go through and then of course i mean the scientific ones but they might not be so super relevant uh for most people listening.
0: Okay. The carbon brief.
1: Carbon brief. It's called. Yeah.
0: Take a note. Yes. All right. Um, I don't know if you have the latest uh list of questions, but when we added to uh to the list was um. What do you think needs to be done to solve the climate crisis? <laughs> this is such a broad question, I know, but just no curious about like what you would say first, for example. Actually,
1: actually, it is this is this is this is the thing. Actually, the answer is just super simple in this context. We have to stop burning fossil fuels. Hmm. It's just not easy to implement. Um, so. It always feels like the default response to how to change, how to address the the, the, the climate crisis is, yeah, we need to invest more in renewables and we need EVs and uh, we need smarter cities. And uh, that's all bullshit. The only way how we stop this is by stop emitting. And the biggest thing when it comes to emissions is uh, the energy sector. That's what we need to tackle first. Second thing to tackle is um, how we use land. Okay, And if we, these are the two, these are the two only things, the two big things. And these are the two only things that can actually make us fix this. I mean, all this, all this rambling about negative emission technologies, and we're just going to suck it up in 10 years or 15 years. That's all bullshit. Forget it. The only two things that are going to stop it is if we, if we keep it in the ground, when it Mm -hmm. comes, when it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to the fossil fuels, but also when it comes to the soil carbon. So, meaning that we need to make preserve the stocks that are there. For example, in soils, in forests, um, and and um, if we do that, then we have a realistic chance. If we don't do that, forget it.
0: Yeah, uh, this. Um this question could be its own podcast episode, I feel Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there's like, I want to bounce back on some of these and ask you more in depth, but since it's not the main question here and that I feel like we could spend several dozens of minutes on this, maybe we should move on. But is there anything more you want to say about it? Sorry, I might have cut you off.
1: I think, I I mean, the first step then to operationalize that, um, and this is also a point where you as an individual can have quite an impact is basically just look, where does your money go so um mm-hmm. as a swedish citizen for example you can log into uh, um the homepage, and check where does your money go and you have certain filters there so your pension money a share of your pension money you can decide on how it's being invested you can log into into this homepage, and you can um Put different filters and say, for example, I don't want that my money goes into fossil fuels, and then you, your money doesn't go into that anymore. Oh, that's this, amazing! I didn't know you. Could that, do that, that. that takes that takes about uh, four minutes. Oh wow! Right, okay, go into that and just check and what are kind of like the standards that I want to be applied for my pension money. That's the first thing.
0: What's the website? What's the what's it called?
1: Pensioner uh, Minnehitan in Swedish. Minnehitan. Okay.
0: I'm going to leave a link to that in the I, uh, description.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I, can, I can send you the link later. Um, uh, that is one thing. But the, the other thing is like, wh- how do you choose your bank? And, and where's your money in your bank? And, yeah. and I mean, for me, the default was always, then you're just going to go with Nordea, right? Uh, because A, that's the biggest, and they have this office there in town. And uh, when I started working at the university in Lund, I got my first paycheck, like I got a, a physical paper check. And <laughs> I had to go to Nordea to cash that. So I was again talking about the incentives that are being set, right? I was on on this track of using Nordea as my bank because I mean it's the default, right? And it took me a couple of years until I started thinking about, yeah, you know, but what's Nordea actually doing? Where did do they put their money? And there's a great homepage that is called Fair Finance. Uh-huh. where you can see how the big banks in different countries are performing. And I think this exists for, if I'm not mistaken, the Netherlands, Sweden, UK, maybe some other countries. Fair so finance. Can, fair
0: finance, yeah. That's great. Um, so many tips.
1: So where you can check just like, what's what's your what's your money doing? Where's your how's, how's your bank performing in terms of sustainability? And I realized, okay, so Nordea is the worst. And then there was one scandal after the other with Nordea. Now Nordea is involved in Arctic drilling. Right. um So, uh, yeah, no, not is not an option for me anymore. So, but but and and changing a bank, yeah, that 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 will cost you maybe half a day sitting down, checking what your options are, you know, doing a bit of paperwork. Um, and it might be a bit annoying because you might have a day or two where your bunk e day is not working. And but,
0: it makes afterwards a difference.
1: it makes a huge difference because that's what the fossil fuel industry runs on. It's your money. So make sure that your money isn't there.
0: Yeah, um, what's it called? I think in in the digital world they call it this uh, standard choice, which or the by default choice, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. if you like most people don't change the by default. And therefore, like whatever setting you impose on people it will be likely the one that they use.
1: Yeah, and you Which
0: accept is... all the spying cookies by just clicking OK. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah that's, it's, what I, it's the new fuel, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, that was a lot of practical um, advice, actually. That Sorry, I-, I didn't want to go there, but, uh, you know... <laughs> No, it just came fair. to my mind. It was, it was, it was part of the question. Good. That was good. Now we have the fair finance, the carbon brief, the pension. What well, was it? The pensions I'll, I'll send you the the, the link. Perfect. Um, okay, so now I'm like returning back to your work a little bit. Yes. And we were already clear that you're a researcher at Lund University in the Center for. Sustainability science, is that correct? Sustainability studies. Sustainability but, studies. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, so then my question is, what, what do you like about your job? <laughs>
1: um, I very much like about my job that it's uh, it varies a lot. The tasks vary, vary a lot. Um, I still learn a lot of new things basically on a daily basis. Um, but what I like the most probably is engaging with people because that's something you, depending, I guess, uh, on your university job, but that's something that I do a lot in my job. And of course, it's a, a lot engaging with colleagues and with students. And I have the incredible privilege to, to, to be working with very smart people. And, and that is something I am, I'm very happy about and very, very thankful about every day. That humbles you,
0: mm. oh. yeah. I understand. I, t- yeah, I can imagine that t- interacting with people and particularly teaching is extremely rewarding in so many ways. Yes, um, is there a particular project you've worked on in, um, maybe not necessarily in this career but throughout your life that you found most memorable? Mm. I mean. It- <sighs>
1: In a, in a way, the PhD project, of course, because it's the longest project. You work on that for four to five years. But yeah. then it's what actually is a PhD. It's A PhD is many projects in itself. It is the research. And if you write an, uh, a PhD thesis in the way as I did, as a cumulative thesis, meaning that you write a couple of articles that are then put together as your thesis. So you're not writing one big book, but articles along the way. Yeah. Then you, you're you breaking it down into different different projects um um, but you are also doing teaching as a phd if you're lucky and and if this is what you're going for so then you have another bunch of projects there but you also have a gigantic project on yourself like Mm. working with yourself engaging with yourself and i mean phd makes you face things that you might not want to face necessarily you know um yeah Uh doubt um it, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome in yeah. academia um that we always think like th- we we just ended up here not because we deserved it but because somebody made a mistake in the application process and that's the only reason why i'm here and everybody is smarter than i am and i shouldn't be here um <laughs> yeah. and, and just like coming to terms with that and dealing with that, um, finding solutions to that for yourself—that is—that's uh, a gigantic project in itself. So the, there, there, I'd say that's that's the project, of course, that you grow with the most, or yeah. grow on the, the most when you when you do a PhD. Mm-hmm. So of course. Um, that uh, when I, I I look at single research projects, then I say, I mean, it was always great going to Danish islands and talking to people about their energy systems. When when people are super proud about their renewable energy system they set up on their <laughs> island, that is so much fun. I mean, going into these cases where people are proud of what they achieved, um, uh, that 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 is that's always a lot of fun. I have to say. that's also very memorable every every field work where you go and you 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 have these people talk with so much love and caring about their biofermenter or their (laughs) you know district heating system
0: that is is super uplifting i understand that yeah Mm. And, and to turn on a on a more negative note here like what's the main challenge you faced as a sustainability professional um i think the main
1: challenge for me in my work is then not so specifically in in research projects. I mean, research projects always have their challenges, right? I mean, you don't get the data you want, or something is very something un, very unexpected happens, and so on. Um, but that's you know that's part of the job. Um, I think the biggest challenge is that if you are trying to communicate with people that are not necessarily your students and that are not necessarily other fellow researchers. That you are, I mean, when you're an, an academic and you are a, at university and you're only engaging with students and other researchers, you are in a bubble and you, you you go out of a bubble as a sustainability researcher. And then you engage with people who are at a very, very different level in terms of the knowledge um, of 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 sustainability issues. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest challenges that we are encountering in this context is not in research and it's not in education, but it's in what in Sweden we call the uppgift, right? So the third task that universities have, and that is the outreach part. So engaging with communities outside of the academic sphere, uh, engaging with, with the broader public, because you don't know at which level to start um, with them. Um, you don't know if you need to lay some groundworks in, in, in terms of like understanding basics uh, that are related to sustainability. I mm-hmm. think that's the biggest challenge that I perceive for myself.
0: Okay. Um, and when talking about challenges, I guess something that comes up quite a lot is, is the issue of greenwashing. And that's something mm-hmm. that people care very much about. Uh, mm-hmm. That's very easy to do. And uh, is, that, is that a problem you encounter? In your line of work? Yes, of course. I mean, not in the
1: sense of that it is super problematic for me. It is more in the sense of I encounter it and I see it as a problem for sustainability per se. But then I can also turn it into something I'm studying. So one thing that I think is very interesting in in the context of my PhD where I encountered this is, is green city branding. So that cities advertise themselves as very green, very sustainable. And then when you look what's happening behind the scenes they are you know expanding their airport and having this i mean this whole this whole thing about the scandinavia being branded as super sustainable and in, in terms of urban development while at the same time we have uh in in stockholm big discussions about um expansion of highways uh, we have the same discussion in lund right now that's insane Right, that, that those are the you know this this green city branding greenwashing bullshit um, that I encountered during my PhD thesis. Right, another thing, Hamburg applying um, as and actually getting the title as European Green Capital, which is complete bullshit. I mean, they have one of the biggest harbors, second biggest harbor if I'm not mistaken in in the EU. Uh, of course, they're not green. Right. Uh, so yeah that is something i encountered there a lot the thing where i'm encountering um right now a lot in in my research is uh of course the question of negative emission technology that Mm -hmm. you have all these big polluting companies oil and gas and and coal companies jumping on this bandwagon of of negative emissions and and um advertising their sustainability solutions that are all about you know we we pump two tons of co2 on the on the ground and, and there's a lot of greenwashing that we are encountering right now yeah. i think in, in my line of work that that's very infuriating actually
0: mm-hmm. yeah i guess it's part of that trying to do the minimum and trying to brand yourself the maximum exactly. amount exactly <laughs> it's, it's very
1: uplifting though to see how for example companies like bp and shell then usually when they start these kind of bullshit on twitter get completely ripped to shreds um, that is that's very um, satisfying to see but you know
0: i can understand that yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about mm-hmm. as a yes yeah Yes, yes, I do. I mean, um, I'm now with this year
1: basically started on a project that um, my colleagues started already a year ago, but this year I'm really going on board with this. And that's a very interesting project. That's a project that tries to navigate um, justice claims in a green transition. So the idea is we look at Sweden and we look at... Um, the climate policies that are being implemented at the moment or that need to be implemented. But we're looking in, in this context very much at the people that resist these changes. So you might have heard of Benzin operadores, so the, the gasoline revolution, which was about um, motorists being very unhappy about the gasoline price and the extra Um, CO2 taxes that they were um, paying so like the Yellow West protests in France we have a similar thing of course not as violent not as big we have a similar thing in Sweden Mm -hmm. Um, and engaging with these, these justice claims of people saying it is unjust that I'm paying for this now yeah um so this is a project that i uh, have the great privilege to re- work with um two colleagues that are also two very good friends of mine one of them is is a philosopher so we're coming from different angles um and really going into these questions of moral philosophy what is justified what is not justified yeah that is something that... I'm, I'm very excited about
0: Uh huh. And, and i guess that's because like i mean Sustainability is about integrating the human perspective into the, uh, whatever you want to call it, but maybe the environmental aspects of it all and adaptation and trying to figure out low carbon, like, or you said low footprint solutions while still incorporating these concepts of equity and equality into a transition. Because if it doesn't work for most people, then I guess transitions are almost impossible
1: yeah they're doomed to fail if you do if if people don't support it exactly. and and I mean one example I just had an excellent student paper that I read yesterday or to, or this morning I don't know about what happened in Denmark where the government decided to implement two vegetarian days in public uh canteens like public workplaces, and they got such a backlash from uh unions that were very very unhappy about that um so that they actually had to sack that policy again.
0: Which made um, other people very angry, probably. Yeah,
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I mean, the, the point being that you will have a hard time in a democracy, uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm not not advocating any other kinds of government, but you'll have a hard time in a, in a democracy uh, to implement sustainability policies if people don't understand why and people don't accept that it's necessary. Going back to this question of, of the gasoline, um, yeah, I mean, people are disgruntled. If you are living out on the countryside and you have experienced 20 or 25, 30 years of the welfare state being dismantled around you with uh, driving times to the next hospital of, you know, seven hours and uh, no schools around, then of course you are dependent. Uh, on that car and you are dependent that the gasoline isn't super expensive. And of course this, these different kind of frustrations feed into each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, the same thing goes with this with the yellow West protests. I mean, there was this, this excellent analysis on this, which was, uh, which had the heading, the revenge of the places that do not matter. And I, I sorry, I forgot the author, but um, it was a paper in, in, in human geography. And I think that's a very, very good analysis of it Mm -hmm. Uh, there are places and people that have been neglected due to you know all kinds of may very many cases neoliberal policies that have been implemented in the last 20 30 years um that then are unhappy if you if you say well but for the sake of the climate we need to make gasoline more expensive or Mm. for the sake of the climate we need to make sure that you you know don't eat beef every day
0: yeah you just can't forget about people in the equation Hmm. Which is an uh, incredibly difficult task and, yeah. and good that there's a lot of resources poured into. Yeah. Um, Do you have, uh, how, like, how do you see your professional self developing in the future? Do you have any plans on that? Do you, do you want to keep going? Hmm. With research is, um, yeah. Yeah. I think,
1: I think I, I, I mean, I'm enjoying this, so I want to stay in, in this line of work in general. So then it's a bit of a question. How do you, what kind of an academic do you want to become? And I I usually say, you know, I'm, I guess I'm an average to good researcher, but I want to be an excellent teacher and I want to be an excellent mentor. And that's what I strive for. So this is kind of like the, the, the the goal, the personal development goal that I, that I'll go after.
0: Hmm. Um, How is your, the question that's written here is how is your industry slash field adapting to the trend of sustainability? And I guess, it's difficult because you you are the trend of sustainability in a way um, no
1: i i think no i think i think we can engage with that question very well in that we can say well the universities are <laughs> doing a poor job um and this has changed now but like i mean if you if you look at where are the places where all this knowledge on sustainability, all this research is being generated? That's the universities, right? We know all these things. And we have all these very smart researchers making these these claims of how society should develop. Then you would expect that the universities are at the forefront of institutional change. Yeah. But they're not. Um, and especially with Lund University, I have to say, we, we have been fighting uphill battles for the last 10 years. Um, uh, Frustratingly, um, partly. Um, This is getting much better now we got uh, um, we have a so-called sustainability forum at the university which got a strong mandate now to green the university we are now taking the climate or the the paris agreement serious meaning that we at the university will also implement the emission cuts that are necessary so there's a lot of momentum right now but it has taken years and that is frustrating because if you look at it for example i mean the, the big elephant in the room in this context is academics flying. And even people that work on sustainability, how much have we been flying in in the last years? It's it's insane. Um, So I think there's a lot universities could do. Um, There's a lot that universities, uh, especially in Sweden, are doing now. Um, It's a bit late, uh, but it's better they're doing it now than they don't do it at all.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, And my last question to you is, Mm -hmm. do you have any tips for anyone who is starting off a career or job in sustainability?
1: Yeah, that's difficult. I think um, as I never really, (laughs) as I kind of like never left that sphere of still being a student in some ways or in many ways, actually, it's difficult to say. I mean, I could now say, well, you know, don't compromise when you go out there. But as I since since i finished my studies um in sustainability i haven't been exposed to out there very much so i don't think i'm probably the best person to give advice for people who um leave university and and do things and maybe maybe
0: you have an advice for someone who uh, maybe uh, will continue in in academia
1: Mm -hmm. there i would say um Make sure that you build your own support networks. Uh, academia can be a pretty brutal place. And I I got to the place where I am and I enjoy being at the place where I am because I always had good support networks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's for anybody who, who wants to, you know, pursue a PhD or uh, pursue a researcher career. That's what I would say. Make sure that you have good people around you.
0: Okay. Uh, human fr- human relations seem to be an important part everywhere. Yeah. I mean, but but I mean, it, this is very much in the case of sustainability.
1: If you are you're battling with a lot of resistance, mm-hmm. uh, whenever you're doing that, um, you are also engaging with stuff that can be extremely depressing. <laughs> yes. Um, no, but I mean, if you if you if you're on a daily if your daily bread is to engage with the end of the world, in in the sense of you know. Uh, Catastrophe. climate change, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah biodiversity loss. You, I mean, you you name it plastic pollution in the oceans, one thing after after another. We could we could name oh, it. Is that true?
0: I remember being completely affected by that and being down for a very significant part of my degree in sustainable development. It was like what, what are we yeah. even doing? You know, there's this realization phase where, whoa, this is a lot.
1: Yeah. So that that that's good that's good to think of lord of the rings two things i mean first thing get some good fellowship fellowship around you right i mean have good good have a good support system and then always um uh, think of um, think of Gandalf. What he says to Frodo in the minds of Moria when when Frodo says like that he's he's so frustrated and he is so so down by the fact that he ended up in this situation. He never wished for this situation to be the Ringbearer and having to go to Mordor and facing all these dangers. And and then Gandalf says, "Yeah, well, I mean, most people who end up in these kind of situations didn't want to be there. People who end up in times of war didn't want to be in times of war." But that's not up for us to decide. The only thing we can decide is what we do with the time that's granted to us in these challenging times. And I guess, so Lord of the Rings is, um, is a brilliant source of wisdom, I think, in that context.
0: Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a great way to end it, I think, here. Um, Good. Good unless there's anything else you want to add that you feel no, like- i think i've been rambling now for oh, 45 minutes So i think i've i've said a lot of things that's fine i've i've, I've sort of Thank come you. to peace with the fact that my podcasts are going to be a bit longer than the others and hmm. maybe maybe this will put some people off maybe this will uh, attract the interest of others we will see and it, in any way, I think um, this was a really nice conversation. And I think uh, I learned a lot just by listening to you. And um, yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this was great. And um, maybe as a last question, uh, how mm-hmm. if, if anyone is uh, interested in following your work, how uh, can they find you? yeah um so
1: um there's different ways um if you are looking more to follow me in terms of the academic work then i would uh, recommend my profile on ResearchGate. uh that means you don't get that many updates you know, only when i publish something mm-hmm. then i am on twitter i'm not tra- uh, tweeting that often but uh, i have periods where i'm a bit more more um, active um so that is another way uh, linkedin is another way and um Uh, i will not recommend at this point my university homepage because that's horribly outdated i need to i need to that's that's the plan for for end of february to sit down and update my university homepage so i guess those are the ones that are uh, yeah the best channels i'd say the most up-to-date channels
0: all right great then i'm wishing you a a great uh, friday night and a good weekend This podcast was produced by Laura Messner, Rachel Gurdine, and Olivier Lasson. This episode was hosted and edited by myself, Olivier, we would like to thank today's guest Hannah Bush, for sharing his professional story with us and a big thank you of course as always goes to Jakob Rusein for providing us with the music If you enjoyed this podcast you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Masterpods We post new episodes every Wednesday. Also, now we are on Clubhouse and soon we'll start live potting. so join us there and give us a shout out if you need an invite um, We still have a couple to give out If you want to talk about your sustainable profession or know someone who you think should speak to theirs uh, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at masterpods.eu that's info at masterpods.eu talk to you next week everyone goodbye